Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. Today, we'll see Bible prophecy fulfilled as Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey to the praise of the crowds and also cleanses the temple from corruption. These were the signs for Israel to recognize their Messiah. Part three of Cheryl's message titled Seize the Day. They lay their garments down in front of his path. It's a sign of homage, but it's also a desire to have their garment tread underfoot by Jesus. Can you imagine picking up that garment again? Like, I'll never wash this garment again. Never. Jesus rode on this garment. It will be a testimony forever. See this? This is what Jesus donkey rode on when he rode into Jerusalem. Others grab leafy branches and they lay them on the path in front of Jesus. And they begin to proclaim, according to Luke 19, verse 37, his wonderful work. Can you imagine the crowd? Perhaps one is saying, he gave me sight. Maybe even Bartimaeus is there. Thou son of David, who gave me sight? Maybe someone else says, he cleansed my brother's leprosy. Another, he made me walk. I am leaping right now because Jesus. Another one saying, I'm mute. And the whole reason I can shout the praise today is because he gave me a voice. You see, these who are shouting his praises are seizing the day. They are speaking out loud the testimony and proclaiming the work of Jesus in their life. Another might be saying, he delivered me from seven demons. I think you know who that might be. Another saying, he healed me from my disease. I am no longer tormented. I'm no longer an outcast. He accepted me. I was a tax collector and sinner, but he restored me as a son of Abraham. Maybe, and we're told in John 17, John chapter 12, that Lazarus is among there, those. And many came just to see Lazarus and to hear his testimony, which was very unique. He raised me from the dead. And they shouted, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. It's a messianic word. Psalm 118 was considered by every rabbi, every teacher in Israel to be a messianic psalm. And so those crying out, saying, son of David, are saying, rightful king of Israel. Those who are saying, Hosanna, are saying, anointed one, or the Messiah. Those who are saying, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is to 
proclaim that he is coming in the anointing, the service, the representation and authority of the Lord. He is God's sign, representative, power and authority to us. And they are saying peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They are proclaiming the terms of God's covenant, the agreement that is coming through this Messiah. And these echo the very terms of peace that the angels came offering at the birth of Jesus. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. How? Through the Messiah, Jesus. Jesus alone has come with God's terms of peace and glory. Now, during the ministry of Jesus, before this day, remember how he never allowed men to publish the fact that he was the Messiah? He silenced the demons. He told those he healed, don't tell anybody. He told the disciples on the Mount of Transfiguration, don't share what you've seen with anyone until I've risen from the dead. Now he allows public acclamation because this is the day that the Lord has made. It's a direct fulfillment of Daniel 9.25. When the angel tells Daniel, this is how to know the day of your Messiah, the anointed one. For from the decree to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem until the Messiah shall be seven sevens and 62 sevens. We know that on March 4th, 445 BC, according to Nehemiah chapter two, verses five through eight, the command went forth from Artaxerxes to restore and rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. You count from that day, then it will bring you to April 6th, the day that Jesus did this, made his triumphant entry into Jerusalem. They should have known. They should have known in this, their day. This was the day that all Israel was to be anticipating. Not only did God tell them the very day, and just two weeks before this, there had been a march in Jerusalem by the rabbis and the priests and the religious elite to say that God had failed them because the right of capital punishment had been taken away from the religious elite and given to Rome alone. And so they wanted to say God had failed rather than looking for that very day for their Messiah. And not only did God tell them the very day, but he told them exactly what it would look like. You'll recognize your king this way. He'll be humble. He will be a descendant of David. He will be riding on a colt, a donkey that has never been ridden on before. It will happen in Jerusalem. He will be righteous. He will be victorious. And the people who participated, who seized the day, rejoiced, recognized. This is not the fickle crowd that calls for his crucifixion. I've heard that over again. Now look how fickle they are. Just, you know, five days later, they're calling for his crucifixion. No, this is the crowd that the Pharisees were intimidated by and afraid of when they said, do not seize him during the day lest there be an uproar among the people. Remember, they had to find a secluded place, a secret place. They had to do everything they did under the cloak of darkness. And we'll get into this more when we get to Luke chapter 22. They had to do everything under the cloak of darkness because the people would have caused an uproar. 
In John chapter 12, when they're, the Pharisees and religious elite are looking at this, they exclaim, we've got to do something now because the whole world is going after him. In Luke 23, 27, when Jesus is crucified, or actually when he's publicly walking down the streets, publicly condemned and walking down the streets in Jerusalem, holding his cross, we're told that a great multitude followed him to the cross, mourning and lamenting, feeling helpless. In Luke 23, 48, we're told that the whole crowd came together at the cross, beating their chests. The Pharisees called from the crowd as Jesus is being publicly acclaimed, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. When they use the word here, disciples, it means followers or those who are praising you. They're referring to the whole crowd. Like, rebuke the people that like you and are praising you is exactly what they're saying. And Jesus says, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Nature recognized their liberator and they were ready to proclaim it. My father, whenever he would take a trip to Israel, we would always do that walk down the Mount of Olives and you can see the East Gate as you walk down. You can see the the sight that Jesus saw when he wept. But my dad would say, make sure you pick up a stone because you never know when it might cry out praise in your house. He used to call them the singing stones. And so everybody would pick up a rock and just like sing to me. You know, you've heard of pet rocks. These are called singing rocks. But today is the day to proclaim his praise. Today is the day to proclaim what he has done in our lives. Today is the day to proclaim him as king. Don't neglect or put off this day of proclamation. Today is the day. Now, as we move on into Luke 19 verses 41 through 44, We are to know the day of visitation. Ever miss an appointment? It's the worst feeling ever to miss an appointment. There are the times that you just forgot, like, oh, no, I was supposed to be having dinner with so-and-so, or I was supposed to have lunch, or we were supposed to do this, or you're on your way. I remember we were asked to speak in uh, Carson when we lived in Vista. Brian and I were supposed to do the Women and Men's Fellowship Respect, anyway, both of us. And uh, we got on the freeway and we got all the way to Crown Valley. And from then on, from Crown Valley to the next street, it took us an hour and a half. And we were literally sitting in traffic, realizing we were supposed to be teaching right then. Ordinarily, that would be like an hour and a half from Vista to Carson. And we had planned, we had given it two hours and we just sat in traffic. It's just watching like the time go by and go, well, I should be teaching. You should be teaching. At that point, we had a cell phone and it was like this big. It was one of the first. And we called them and said, we're not moving. We are stuck in traffic and nothing's happening. And I remember just that feeling of just missing it. Just like, I can't believe I had my little message to teach. I was all ready, but we missed that day. Or maybe you've missed an appointment because something else came up and you weren't able to get there. But Jerusalem missed its appointment with Jesus. We talked earlier about the specific day given by the angel to Daniel, what it would look like, told to Zechariah, the day when their Messiah, the son of David, the king, the great shepherd of the sheep, would come to Jerusalem. And Jesus 
as he's coming down pauses, as everyone's proclaiming and praising Jesus pauses in the midst of this acclamation to cry, to weep, to visibly weep, audibly weep over the destruction that will seize Jerusalem because they rejected their king, because they did not recognize who it was and what he was coming with, the things that make for your peace, the terms of peace and blessing that he came with. And from that moment on, until he would come again, these things would be hidden from their eyes. Paul talks about the veil that's over the eyes of those in Israel and how that veil can only be removed by Jesus Christ. But the days that would result from their missed opportunity, for the days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you in on every side and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. Interestingly enough, Eusebius, who is an early church historian, speaks of this flight to Pella. And he says that the believers, the Christians in Jerusalem, recognized, recognized through the prophecy of Jesus when Rome began to build their siege walls that they needed to flee. They remembered his words, and there came, as they were praying, a short reprieve when Gallus, the main general, pulled back, and the believers left in mass, remembering the words of Jesus. Let me read. I'm going to quote Eusebius. The whole body, however, of the church at Jerusalem, having been commanded by a divine revelation, given to men of approved piety there before the war, removed from the city and dwelt at a certain town beyond the Jordan called Pella. Epiphanes also attested to the Christian escape, according to Bible scholar Adam Clark. The latter wrote, this is, um, this is Eusebius now, and his writings were called Epiphanes. It is very remarkable that not a single Christian perished in the destruction of Jerusalem, though there were many there when Cestius Gallus invested the city. And had he persevered in the siege, he would soon have rendered himself master of it. But when he unexpectedly and unaccountably raised the siege, the Christians took that opportunity to escape. As Vespian was approaching with his army, all who believed in Christ left Jerusalem and fled to Pella and other places beyond the River Jordan. And so they all marvelously escaped the general shipwreck of their country. Not one of them perished. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because they recognized the day. The believers who recognized the day of the visitation escaped the carnage. It was said by Josephus, the Jewish historian, that Jerusalem fell not from the outside, but from within. The zealots turned on the religious elite and murdered them, murdered Jonathan, the high priest, and Anas, the high priest, and then turned on each other. On the leading citizens demanding their money, houses, children to fight against the Romans. We are to recognize the day that we are living in. These are the last days, and more than ever, we need to seize the opportunities that the Lord gives us. How are we going to recognize them? 
if we're in the word of the Lord, if we're obeying our Bibles and the word of the Lord, we will recognize the day. Finally, Luke 19, 45 through 48. Today's the day to let the Lord cleanse your heart. It's hard to admit we're wrong, isn't it? But unless we confess our sins, unless we agree with God's diagnosis, unless we let his conviction, the conviction of the Holy Spirit do its work, we will never be healed. We'll never be cleansed. We will continue to carry that thing with us. Jesus came to the temple in Jerusalem. And here we see a different side of Jesus than we have seen previously. This is the one that takes the authority. This is the one that is upset even to the point of violence. He goes into the temple courtyard and he drives out those who are buying and selling. He overturns the tables of the money changers. He overturns the seats of those who sell the doves. Malachi 3.1, here is another sign. And it says, behold, I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like a fuller's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. So God even told his prophet Malachi, there's going to be a day of visitation at the temple, a day of cleansing and purifying. Jesus announces, it is written, my house is a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Jesus at this point takes ownership and authority. He cleanses the temple of the merchandising that distressed the spirit of God. Now, when you go to Israel, you will see at what used to be the court of the temple, what is called the bazaars of Annas. Annas being the high priest at that time, he will later condemn Jesus to death. As we go on in our study, we'll see this in Luke chapter 23, his condemnation of Jesus to death. And some say it was this, when Jesus overthrew his business practices in Jerusalem. Now the remains of the bazaars of Annas are still visible today. It was owned by this high priest and it made him so rich that he had a palace in Jerusalem. But this was a form of extortion which oppressed those very people that had come to worship the Lord. It oppressed them and it made, it made the worship of God very, very difficult for the common person. And when you look at this, you realize that Annas was no different than Zacchaeus with this exception. Zacchaeus recognized his sin and repented. Annas knew his sin, but sought to destroy Jesus. They did not just want to remove him or exile him or put him in a dungeon or jail. We're told in the scripture they wanted to destroy, to kill, to publicly annihilate in the most painful way. That is what this word destroy means. Yet at this point, they are helpless. They know they are guilty. 
And in verse 48, the people are very attentive to Jesus. Or as the New Living Translation puts it, they hang on his every word. Today, Jesus wants to claim your heart as his very own. He wants to take authority over your heart in order to make it his house. He wants your heart to be a house of prayer, of constant communication, being lifted up to the Lord, of intercession, praying for others, praying for the nations, praying for people. But he must cleanse us. And we must agree with this diagnosis. Yes, those bazaars, that merchandising, that table, that chair, they should not have been in my heart. And we must let them overturn and cleanse. We have to confess, we have to agree that these things do not belong. If you put him off, your heart will harden against his purposes, against his people, and ultimately against him. And these things will be hidden from your sight. Going back again to Hebrews 3, verses 7 through 8. Today, if you hear his voice, today, do not harden your heart. Today is the day to agree to his cleansing. And you never know when that today is going to happen. For me, it always happens right in the middle of a fight with Brian when I'm winning that the Lord says, Cheryl, repent. Tell him. He should be the first. He's my spiritual leader. Then I'll repent. I'll just follow him. And the Lord says, Cheryl, do you want a hard heart? No, I repent. And then I have to look at Brian and go, and then Brian always goes, you're sorry, aren't you? I'm trying to be. You know, it's this thing. I've got to allow the Lord to constantly, continually wash me out and cleanse me to confess. You know, they say what spiritual growth is. You know how much you're growing in the Lord by the shortage of time between the conviction and the confession. If the Lord convicts and it takes you three weeks and four days to confess, then you need to grow. If you, if you feel the conviction right away, you go, sorry, guys, this isn't right. The, the Lord's just convicting me. Forgive me for saying that. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to say that. Then you know, then you know you're growing. You're doing really well spiritually. The promise is to those who confess, those who confess, John 1, 9, God is faithful to forgive and to cleanse. I love, not only does he forgive it, he cancels that debt, but he cleanses. He gets away that propensity to do that again. You know what I mean? You know how like, if you don't get the mold completely in a cupboard, any of you ever have mold? I have. Thank you for that hand. Those who have had mold, do you know how like if you don't get it with the bleach, you don't get it completely and eradicated, it will start growing again, same place, and you'll get that awful, musty feeling. But God comes in and he eradicates. He cleanses so the mold can't grow from that place anymore. Today is the day to seize the day. Sounds a little repetitive, but it works. Don't miss one more opportunity to see Jesus, do whatever it takes 
to see Jesus, to invite him or accept his invitation into your home, to invest what he's given for his glory, to be used for his purposes, to be untethered, to be loosed, to proclaim his praises and the wondrous things he's done for you publicly and with the body of Christ, to recognize and rejoice in your day of visitation and to accept his cleansing that you might be under his authority and be his dwelling place, a house of prayer for all nations. Carpe diem, seize the day. On Palm Sunday, we see Jesus enter Jerusalem while crowds welcome him with shouts of praise. Little did they know that they were actually fulfilling Bible prophecy from the Messianic Psalm 118. As they shouted, Hosanna and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were proclaiming that their anointed Messiah is here and that he has come in the service, representation, and authority of the Lord. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look at Luke 20 and how Jesus is the answer as we continue our Jesus Magnified study in the Gospel of Luke with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.